This is episode number 738 with Dr. Pierre Salvi, Head of Engineering at Cambrium. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today's episode was filmed live in person at the Morantix AI campus in Berlin with Dr. Pierre Salvi. He's an absolutely brilliant mind who's revolutionizing material design by using generative AI to create biological proteins that are used as materials for a broad range of purposes. Crazy, right? He calls this the double deep tech sandwich because it blends cutting edge AI with cutting edge bioengineering. Pierre has been at Cambrium for three years, initially as head of computational biology and then head of engineering for the past two years, growing the team from two to seven to bridge the gap between wet lab biology, data science, and scientific computing. He holds a PhD in biotechnology from APFL in Switzerland and a master's in math, physics, and engineering science from Mines in Paris. Today's episode touches on technical machine learning concepts here and there, but should largely be accessible to anyone. In it, Pierre details how data-driven R&D allowed Cambrium to go from nothing to tons of physical product sales inside two years, and how his team leverages large language models, LLMs, to be the biological protein analog of a ChatGPT-style essay generator. All right, let's jump right into our conversation. Pierre, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. It's nice to have you here in person with me in Berlin at the Morantix AI campus. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. I actually had a nice sunny walk in the park to come here. So A sunny walk in the park? Yeah, it's it was been... five minutes during the day and I was lucky on these five minutes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you have me in my best mood. It's been gray the whole time I've been here. In fact, my whole Euro tour so far, I'm in week three now and it's been gray everywhere I go in Europe um, in November, which I guess shouldn't be that surprising. So you lead data science R&D at Cambrium? You Engineering. Can... Uh, engineering. Which encompasses indeed in like data science, machine learning, robotics, um, and cloud operations. Nice. And so what does Cambrium do? <laughs> we had like several ways to capture that in a single tagline that, you know, everybody would understand, right? Uh, but I think like the one that works right now is we use generative AI to um, create biomaterials for tomorrow, right? Uh, and there's a lot to unpack in there, right? But basically we use machine learning and cool science to make materials that are sustainable to displace unsustainable materials that we have around us uh, using technology and a lot of deep tech stuff that I'd love to talk about. Nice. Yeah, let's get into that. You were talking about like a double deep tech sandwich? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's correct. So really the first attempt that we had at describing our technical stack was, of, of course, a, a disaster, right? But it's like, we use generative AI to create proteins, then we transform these proteins into DNA, we order the DNA, and then we transfect this DNA into strains with genetic engineering, including you know, molecular editing tools. And then we produce that in big vats, purify that, and then sell that as a chemical, right? That's a lot of complicated terms. <laughs> so yeah, generative AI for materials. Yeah, I mean, that's wild. So let's, let's dig into that more kind of step by step. So you use data-driven processes throughout all of your R&D, but this allows you to, you know, typically when we're thinking about AI, the end product is a model, mm -hmm. but in your case, that is just an intermediate step to create some new product. And so um, you mentioned to me before we started recording that in two years, Cambrium went from zero, nothing, founding team, to tons of products sold. So can you give us an example of the kinds of products that you sell and then how you got from zero to 
100 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour, whatever the expression is, yeah. in two years. Um, I think it was, it's worth noting that at least in Europe, this is the fastest ever recording in our industry, right? Oh, really? Um, so that's pretty exciting. The reason why this worked out is because we used AI as a de-risking tool for our biology, right? So the general problem when you come to, oh yeah, and the product. So we have one product right now, it's called Novocol, it's collagen. Um, it's vegan collagen for your skin uh, that is a human match and basically uh, has a really good um, effect to prevent uh, wrinkles and you know anything that aging and uh, stress uh, can do to your skin, right? Um, so it's like a topical cream. It's a topical application yeah. and it's basically it's what skincare um, vendors want to sell, but that's what almost nobody has, right? And how can we make vegan collagen? Because like there's a gen uh, general problem about collagen, which is it's inherently an animal protein, right? So the previous way to make collagen was to, you know, dispose of dead animals and boil them and then, you know, extract the collagen. And then, you know, people don't really want to put dead animals on their skin, right? So if you can come up with a value proposition of like, we have animal-free, cruelty-free collagen that you can use, uh, then people are willing to buy this, right? So that's basically the short story of how we uh, chose this product. Um, how do we actually build this, right? So it's a protein, right? So it's a product of a biological process, uh, of a biological process. And biological processes, we've been learning to tame them um, for maybe the last 50 years to produce uh, a bunch of things, like including insulin, for instance, uh, to uh, as a therapy against diabetes, type 1 diabetes, right? Um, so we use similar technologies, um, genetic engineering, right? Which is basically, you take a microbe, it's GMO. You take a microbe, you change the DNA so that it produces what you want. And I like to use this uh, image because I think it works well. It's also like technically accurate. It's like, when you make beer, you have a microbe that eats sugar, transforms the sugar into ethanol, and then spits that out, right? We have a very similar microbe that basically eats a form of sugar, and in inside the microbe, instead of having the instructions to make beer, it has the instructions to make collagen spits out the collagen, we scoop it up and sell it. Roughly, that's what happens. In practice, biology is a very messy science. Um, a lot of things can go wrong, and when they go wrong, it costs a lot of money because it's a lot of expensive stuff. Like, DNA in itself is expensive. Handling DNA is expensive. The robots to handle the DNA are expensive. So there's a lot of risks, technological risks, that are associated with this type of project. And that's where data science, machine learning, and you know the whole thing comes into play. Is you can use it to maximize the chances that your experiment are going to work out. And that's actually with this philosophy that we built, Cambrium and our data-driven R&D, um, we built the lab first on a computer. We actually did full lab simulations of our processes to understand like what's the throughput, what's the error rate we can expect, and so on, right? And then we actually ordered the robots and so on. And what um, the data science allows us to do is to make sure that whatever experiment we run has a maximal likelihood chance of working out, right? And that's how we managed to be so fast. We basically one-shot every single feasibility gate, gate for our uh, product to go from idea to an actual uh, thing we could sell on the market. That's wild, man. That is so cool. It seems like such a complex undertaking. It's wild to me that you were able to kind of think through like all of these steps eventually that you need to have and kind of model them. Um, so did you or other members on the founding team have experience in this kind of genetic engineering before? So um, Mitchell and Charlie, the two, the two co-founders, have PhDs in this, um, in this field. I initially trained in applied mathematics or general engineering in France. Uh, and I studied a bunch of things from like material science to macroeconomics to 
um, nuclear physics <laughs> and then I actually landed into um, biotechnology and I was like, oh, that's exciting because it's a very unsolved problem. Um, and then I actually worked for uh, almost two years on the West Coast um, with Total and Amiris who are making jet fuel using genetic engineering. On the US West Coast? Yeah, um, in um, Emeryville, California. Uh, and then I got a PhD in this field because I thought it was exciting. And that's when I started working at Cumbria as employee number two. Um, they hired me right after my PhD, right? So it was the three of us with strong technological backgrounds. Uh, and then we have Ruben with like <laughs> BizDev genius. Um, and then we were joined later by Lucille, the current head of R&D, um, who um, basically has a PhD in uh, chemistry and uh, worked in cosmetics and also digitization. Uh, consulting, and Daya, who uh, is our head of FinOps, and had um, basically was employee number one in a startup that uh, did think personalized skincare, right? So with this sort of like crew of six, we started the whole thing, and that's where we're like, okay, we're gonna do this project, th this product, and we're gonna uh, try to sell it this market, and this is how we're gonna execute. Very cool. Um, it's amazing what you guys are doing to to have this <laughs> double deep tech sandwich. It's such a cool thing to be doing. Yeah, so the, the deep tech of genetic engineering combined with the deep tech of machine learning. Let's dig a bit more into the machine learning. So you already described how you were able to get from um, zero to lots of Novacol uh, developed and sold within two years. Um, so we have some idea kind of generally of the data science there. Can you dig a bit more into the machine learning behind some of these processes? Um, maybe even in particular, you mentioned that uh, generative AI, like mm -hmm. large language models can be involved. Yeah, so I think there are maybe two verticals here. One is the general data cycle in order to make sure that your experiments uh, run smoothly. And the other is um, what machine learning can do in order to improve your design of your product, right? Um, so starting with the data-driven R&D, um, there are things for which you, know, you can model as much as you want, but nothing beats actual data, right? And I think a very good example at which uh, we, we got pretty good is um, the protein sequence to DNA sequence translation, right? So skipping all the biology, basically, proteins are made out of building blocks. These building blocks um, correspond to DNA sequences, but it's not a one-to-one, -one, it's a one-to-many, right? Um, and depending on how you make your DNA sequence, you might have problems producing it, and you might have problems uh, having the microorganism read it. So there's a little optimization problem here when you have a protein you want to design to find the right DNA. Yeah, let's, so I'll break this down even a little bit more for the audience uh, so that like they get kind of the, the uh, visualization of this, visualization in their minds <laughs> of this, uh, of how sequential this is. So DNA, I think a lot of people in their mind, they have this idea of a double helix. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's these two kind of winding strands and it's double because one is a copy of the other, so that if you have damage, um, you know, you can repair it hopefully correctly. But basically you can think of, even though there's two strands, there's really one message. Yes. And so you can think of each chromosome, and um, so you have uh, 23 chromosomes as a human being? Uh, I think it's, yes, correct. Um, 23 pairs. 23 pairs of chromosomes. And um, the... Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a, that's a key detail. Um, and the so on each one of these chromosomes, it's one continuous string of what we can think of as letters. Correct. And there's four possible letters in DNA, um, at least in humans. <laughs> um, there are a few edge cases in other species, um, but 
Uh, so you have these four letters that make up the sequence, and then you were describing this one-to-many mapping to proteins, right. where it's, if I remember correctly, it's every three DNA letters um, corresponds to one amino acid in a protein. And Correct. so proteins, which do all of the work in your body, um, and so all of the various kinds of functionalities from the way that your eyes work, your brain, your liver, your skin, it's there's just different uh, proteins. And these proteins, uh, they are made up of similarly strands, one-dimensional strands, like how a DNA is a one-dimensional strand, the proteins are uh, made up of one-dimensional strands of amino acids. But with amino acids, we have more. So we only have four DNA letters. But with amino acids, there's like 20-something amino acids, right? So you have, um, so I guess that kind of, it's, yeah, so that leads to this one-to-many mapping because you have these three character sequences of DNA that lead to a single character, one of these amino acids of the protein structure um so um yeah so i don't know so i interrupted you to no go you do pass the biology, the biology exam congratulations <laughs> but that's exactly this so the proteins we're making are a strand of um a bunch of 20 letters right yeah and the dna are also is also a strand of a bunch of like four letters and the mapping of one to the other is not one to one so it is something for which you can um learn from you know the failures of your experiments I try to order this DNA, either it doesn't produce or my cell doesn't accept it, right? Um, you get the data and then you can actually train a machine learning algorithm saying, okay, this is actually the best way to translate from protein language to DNA language, right? Um, and to give you an, another magnitude, we increased up to a hundred folds our success rate in you know, making the right type of DNA for the proteins we design, right? Wow, it's a big multiple. <laughs> uh, it's a big multiple. It also saves us you know, a ton of money because DNA is really expensive. Um, but I think it's just like one flagship example of like how you integrate, you know, machine learning on your day-to-day on the operations. Like every single step that could be a bottleneck in terms of efficacy or um, efficiency, then you try to apply tiny little uh, machine learning algorithms to, you know, um, smooth smooth them out. Um, and I think that's touching to a key question that I often get asked by investors. Like, okay, so what is your machine learning algorithm doing? Singular, right? And you have to do a lot of education to explain, like, no, it's actually, it's a tool. And we apply this tool at many places, right? Um, so I think that's one of the cool parts of what we do. Arguably, the more, the more hype part right now is everything related to generative AI, right? Cause, right. Because, it, it, sorry, just really quickly, and you're probably just about to do this, and so I'm sorry that I'm, I'm even interrupting, but so it's the same thing. It's these sequences. It's with the DNA. We had sequences of we had four possible characters in our DNA sequence. In the protein, we had 20-odd possible characters. Um, and so like collagen, for example, to make this a little bit concrete for the audience, the collagen has a specific sequence of mm -hmm. amino acids specified by <laughs> maybe a few different possible um, DNA um, sequences. And so in order to get that sequence for, that specifies the collagen protein just right, you're using machine learning to be able to, uh, yeah, to be able to to optimize, get this 100x multiple, uh, save a lot of money, and obvious and the, the kind of the, the obvious comparison here, and why you're now going to talk about generative AI, is that generative AI is also generating sequences. Correct. Um, sequences of characters. Correct. So we're getting maybe to the double <laughs> double deep tech sandwich part, right? So there's this whole question of like sequence to sequence translation, but now there's this 
question of like, how do you generate the initial sequence, right? And actually saying like, we make a collagen is already a complicated statement because there are order of magnitude 10 to the 18 possible collagens that we could choose from, ah, uh, wow. right? In the oh. one, like, you know, counting for natural mutations and so on. Yeah. In the ones that uh, we we looked at for Novocall. Um, and so Novocall in particular, we, we made before the generative AI was commoditized as it is right now. And we had like an intermediate solution. We actually built a protein programming language, right? Which is actually a solution that bridges, you know, computer language and natural language, right? We were like, okay, building a protein is actually a programming problem. We built this, which has actually a compiler and so on, just optimizes the, 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 right, the right sequence for uh, your, your protein, right? So that's how we made Novocall. But we're also working on um, you know, new materials, uh, right? Because we don't want to be a cosmetic company. We want to be a company that replaces plastics in the future, right? Um, and so that's where generative AI comes in. There is actually a natural analogy between um, the protein language and the natural language. Uh, we just said proteins are basically sequences of letters, right? Uh, and much like in the English language, if you just take a, let a bunch of letters and randomly put them together, you'll hardly ever get a word that makes sense, mm -hmm. and even less so an actual essay or a, poetry, a piece of poetry, right? Great analogy. Exactly the same with proteins. You put random amino acids together, you'll get a spaghetti ball, but you won't get a functional um, <laughs> uh, protein, right? Um, and so actual transformative um, advances in NLP, in natural language processing, have directly translated into advances in protein uh, engineering. Um, and so AlphaFold was one, um, one such example in 2018 and then 2020. Um, but basically, uh, what is AlphaFold is like a sort of grammar checker, but it's not something that will write your own essay, right? And recently, um, with the LLM boom, there's actually LLM-derived um, uh, architectures that allow us to write our protein essays for us. Um, and that's actually some really cool technology we have at Cambrium. We literally have a, a you know, gen, uh, image generator, like mid-journey equivalent to proteins. We can specify in mathematical terms what we want our protein to do. And out of noise, the protein will emerge and just be like, hey, this is our candidate protein you should try in your lab. You Whoa. Know? And that's pretty cool. That is really <laughs> cool. And so that also, that's visual? Like when you, when... I mean, in practice, it's a bunch of atoms, but you can right. transform that into a video, right? <laughs> that's also pretty cool. Right. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, super, super cool. Uh, it's amazing what you guys are doing. You really are. I mean, when we... This is like, what you're doing is like a holy grail in terms of people, when they're thinking about careers in data science or machine learning, making such a tangible impact in the way you are on really cutting edge science that is changing the world for the better. It's awesome. It is really exciting. There are some unexpected um, drawbacks, right? One of them is when you try to pitch that to a venture capital, it is so hard <laughs> because you're not a B2B SaaS, right? <laughs> you are you know, a chemistry company using cutting edge science in order to make impossible products. Mm -hmm. um, and that requires, you know, on both sides of the negotiation table, a lot of understanding of, you know, all the world, right? Um, but like, we are literally at the frontier between material science, biology, AI, and then trying to find people that are able to grasp all of that at the same time. I mean, it takes a lot of talking, right? Um, and VCs don't necessarily have much time. So I think that's maybe one of the unexpected struggles of you know, cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, it's interesting. It, it, that wouldn't be something that I think of right away, but of course you're living through that, I guess. And so 
there's got to be some VCs out there. I mean, I, maybe even the ones who say that like they specialize in deep tech, they probably still don't have all that much time. They don't, they would be rare that you would find a kind of deep tech specialist investor that would specialize in this kind of chemistry. Mm -hmm. And then if they do, maybe in the odd chance that you find one that specializes in the chemistry, they're not going to have the generative AI part. Correct. And that's why, I mean, we have to do a really good job at explaining what we do and what are the shortcomings and, you know, the, the technology landscape of what we're doing. Um, but I do think there is a more uh, hidden uh, problem, which is a lot of the VCs that, you know, brand themselves at deep tech are VCs that have um, invested in deep tech that is, you know, a software as a service solution with like a deep tech backend, right? Mm. So... The business model is like very well characterized, but then you come in and you're like, no, we're actually a chemical company. And all of a sudden it looks different, right? Because we buy robots, we, we need plants, we need you know, scale-up facilities with like literal, literal cubic meters of capacity. So the CapEx versus OPEX distribution is so different. And so you often have this sort of aha moment which is like, oh wait, this is actually not the company I thought I was interviewing. Mm. And I think it's, it's been going better, right? Like over the last years, there's going to be a lot of successes in our field that have educated a little bit every, uh, every player on the ground. But it is a problem because you say high capex and you know, lower, um, lower agility on you know, scaling the opex. And then people are just like, oh, maybe I'm less keen on investing, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is a problem because at the end of the day, if you do want to change the world, you can't just do that with apps, right? You, at one point, you have to get your hands dirty and just build things. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, beautifully said. And so, yeah, hopefully we've got some VCs out there listening and realizing the opportunity to make a really big impact here. It's got to help that you're getting success so early, that you're seeing these great returns on the data science and machine learning investments that you're making into this uh, generative chemistry process. Uh, very cool, Pierre. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, yeah, maybe we can check in again in a couple of years and see how the journey's coming along. We'd love to. <laughs> Thanks, John. Amazing and engaging episode of Concepts, isn't he? In today's episode, Pierre covered how data-driven R&D has enabled Cambrium to develop Novacol, a commercially popular vegan collagen for cosmetic products inside of two years, and how while AlphaFold acts as a kind of grammar checker for proteins, Cambrium's LLMs act as an analog of an essay generator for proteins. All right, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting this show by sharing, by reviewing, or by subscribing. But most importantly, just keep listening. And until next time, keep on rocking it out there. I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon. Mm -hmm.